The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Barron's Live Market Watch Edition. I'm Jessica Hall, retirement reporter for Market Watch. With me today is Rob Williams, Managing Director of Financial Planning at Charles Schwab. Welcome, Rob. Thank you for being here. Well, it's great to be here, Jessica. Thanks so much. Thanks. So there are several key milestones to consider when planning for retirement. You have said in the past that age 50 is a big moment for people. Can you talk about why that's a crucial age and decade for people? Yeah, uh, thanks. And that's a great place to start. And I, I, I love to frame this discussion with uh, the question being about a, a date and an age. And, and we've talked about and I've written about um, age 50 as being kind of an, an age. And that's a number. And also what's really, I think, more interesting and important about a lot of these themes in retirement we're going to talk about is there's numbers, but there's also emotions. So there's so much research in finance and behavioral economics that talks about this issue. And 50, I don't know, I guess I can disclose that that's relevant to me um, relatively recently. So it feels emotional. It feels like a milestone. It's a number. It, it may be arbitrary, but we feel it. And mm-hmm. retirement is a stressful thing. So that's the first trigger. It also happens to be a really important age. Uh, because it's the first stage that you can start making catch-up contributions. So to 401ks and IRAs, there's a series of dates that come after this that I, I kind of think of as a retirement timeline, mm-hmm. but they they tend to start at 50, and it's because of that emotional trigger. You start to think about what's next. Uh, am I prepared? I mean, the good news is you have time, you know, to kind of, you know, also to prepare for it. So it gives you some. So what we kind of highlight is that you've got some time to take some actions. And, um, but yeah, there's the emotional side and then there's that practical, which is you know, being able to increase the contributions to a 401k or mm-hmm. an IRA plan if, if you're a little bit behind. Okay. What are some other benchmark ages that people need to pay attention to? Yeah, I think once you get to, um, past, uh, the, so the next one is really 55. And, and that's one where a lot of, if you're a worker at a large company and maybe an executive, there's a lot of re- retirement plans that you know, can be tied to that um, mm-hmm. in, in terms of uh, retirement dates, early retirement sometimes. So if you fit into that into that category, it's good to kind of know that and maybe thinking about, you know, do you have vesting of certain retirement benefits and, and things like that? So, you know, that's quite important. Also for those retirement plans, 401ks, mm-hmm. you have more flexibility to if you do retire from service from that company to start taking withdrawals from a retirement plan, like a 401k without a 10% penalty that you, uh, the IRS puts in place, if you start taking those withdrawals before that. So, you know, that's kind of an interesting date to look at if you're, especially if you're working for a large company and looking at those benefits, um, 59 and a half is is another good one. That's the 10% penalty goes away for IRAs. And um, it doesn't mean you should start taking withdrawals by any means, but it just means that you, you know, can start, can start thinking about it. There's a bunch more 62, mm-hmm. uh, the first 
time you can start Social Security. We don't think people, most people should, right. if they can. And we could we could talk a little bit about that if you want. But good news is there's more and more people who are you know, educating themselves on this wait till full retirement age, which for most people still working today is going to be 67. So that's the next date. And then 70, which is the last date you can take Social Security. And we'll mm-hmm. get a little bit more to this, I think. But RMD age, um, you know, is starting in January uh, is 73. So those are all dates. Um, write them down. Um, but each has something that's tied to it. So Social Security, which you mentioned, is about 10 years away from insolvency. So how should pre-retirees adjust their savings or planning to account for a potential cut in benefits? Or should they be worried about it at all? Yeah, and you're referring to the Social Security Fund, uh, which is the the trustees do a report every year. It's released annually, and, the, and, and it gets a lot of attention, as it should. It's a really important policy issue. And the mm-hmm. 2023 report, um, the highlight was uh, you know, that the trust funds for Social Security and disability insurance or disability benefits will run out absent any change from Congress in 2034. Mm-hmm. And at that point, benefits will be reduced to 80% of their total. Now, just Social Security, it's actually um, to 77% of benefits. So the 80% is of disability included. But I mean, the key point here is that's a number, but emotionally it's scary. And words like insolvency is, it won't be insolvent. It will, the trust fund will run out. It still has revenue coming in from taxes, et cetera, and benefits are projected to continue just to be cut. So there's the fact, and then there's the emotion of it. So this is emotional. It's, uh, it's political. I mean, gosh, I mean, and, and understandably can cause some pretty severe reactions. The question I always pose is, what are you going to do about it? And that's part of your question as well. So we tend to suggest to to our clients that they they think, well, how much am I going to depend on Social Security, have a retirement you know, plan that looks at all their resources, and then you can stress test it. So you might just cut in your plan the projected benefits, see how much impact that has. And then you can choose beyond the emotions do I need to be saving more? How much confidence mm-hmm. do I have in the politics, et cetera? Um, yeah, it's complicated, especially anything that involves politics. So yeah. Um, so I'd like to remind the audience that they can submit questions in the Q&A. And for Rob, back to you, what, um, what year-end housekeeping do you need to worry about when you're talking about financial savings and planning? Yeah, I'm going to keep with this this emotional side and this math sort of more tactical side theme. It's the holidays. It's an emotional time. And we're all, we see the media, you know, we love Barron's and, and other folks that are telling us all the things we need to do. And, and those are important. It, you know, it, we're getting into the season where people, I mean, we're already into it about shopping, et cetera, and budgeting and, and things like that. So I find there's some emotional steps, like it's a good time to start having a, a good habit of tracking what you've spent for the whole year um, and saying, well, what have I spent? And then hopefully in holiday season, you, you've got more you know, things you want to do, discretionary things, time with family. And that's part of your part of your spending plan at the end of the year. But having that habit of not just waiting to the end of the year to start looking at what did I spend this year? 
and having a bookkeeping system to do it. That doesn't mean sit down and have a budget. That sounds mm -hmm. very stressful. But how much did I spend? It's amazing to me how many people just really don't have a good handle on that and tracking it. So it's just a good emotional trigger to do it when you're going to be spending in the holidays. Some of the more tactical ones, taxes is really the one that has a hard deadline. You have the end of the year. And there's certain things you have to do by the year end, even though tax season is April 15th to file. So the deadlines to make sure you've tapped out your contributions, your payroll deductions mm -hmm. from a 401k and many employer sponsored plans will end on December 31st. Mm -hmm. So make sure you do that. IRAs are different. So individual retirement accounts, you can wait until April 15th, but for employer sponsored plans, Make sure you do that. Uh, doing charitable contributions, it's that time of the year as well. Um, the portfolio too, I mean, we're talking about investments and it's a great time to go back and look at, do I have a time horizon for my investments? What is it? Maybe not changes in the portfolio, but rebalancing at least one time a year back to, you know, hopefully you have a plan that says what your investments should be is helpful. And, and then one more tactical item is, is tax loss harvesting. So if you, if you save or you invest in a brokerage account, so not a, not a retirement account, when you make sales and sell stocks, et cetera, you're going to have a capital gain or a capital loss. Mm -hmm. And that's taxed when you do it. That's not true in an IRA or a 401k. If you sell investments, the tax implications come later. So Working with on your own, learning about this, that's a great step that we're working with, you know, our clients and investors on is do I have any losses I can harvest, and take those and it can offset gains and in, in other investments. That's a really good, you know, investment hygiene step you can take uh, close to your end. When you, to talk a little bit more about tax loss harvesting, do you look at both equities and bond holdings when you do that? Yeah, I mean, that's a really timely issue right now. Um, you know, bonds is another one of those issues that have become, you know, an education is needed and, and it's much more um, to it right now with interest rates higher. You know, the Federal Reserve has raised interest rates mm -hmm. pretty significantly and the income on bond investments or bond mutual funds, et cetera, is a lot higher than it's been for decades. However, for those who understand the bond math, if interest rates go up mm -hmm. in the market as a whole, the value of some bond mutual funds or even individual bonds that you may have owned before may have fallen in value, in market value. So if you were to go out and just go and, and sell them, there would be potentially a loss. So this year in particular, given that the bond market income is higher, but, mm -hmm. you know, more investors may have some actual losses on the value of their bond portfolios. Tax loss harving, harvesting is really important and timely this year in particular because of that interest rate climate. Okay. Are you seeing any shift within Schwab at how people are saving for retirement? Are they buying more CDs or treasuries or other investment vehicles now? I think it's not just for retirement, just investing in general to the, the point you just made about, or I, we just talked about, about interest rates. We haven't, many of us don't remember when there were interest rates on CDs or, or money market funds that were above 1% or so. And that suddenly in the last year changed dramatically. So 
earning four or five percent on a CD or a money market funds is understandably very appealing, um, not just for retirement savings. Um, I think we've seen that most retirement savers have longer time horizons and they may have a longer term plan. So they're more of those investors are, I don't want to say autopilot, but they have a targeted, hopefully if they've worked with a planner, they have a targeted sort of mix of stocks, bonds, and cash. And, and they're continuing on that. They're just continue to make their monthly contribution and invest. So their portfolios, we haven't seen probably major changes, but in those money, in the money that they're you know, investing for other purposes, say for a house down payment, we are seeing a little bit more, you know, attention to why, why would I put money in stocks right now? There's so much uncertainty, et cetera, with interest rates on CDs at the level they are. Why wouldn't I? Well, it, Look at your time horizon. You know, if you if it's money, you're going to be invested for five years or more. You know, the stock market still is the best place to beat inflation. You know, over time, grow assets. So we tend to say, let's what's your time horizon? Let's get the right portfolio for you. But we definitely mm-hmm. see a trend of of interest in some of these cash and short term investments. Okay. Um- there was a Schwab study that found that American workers think they need 1.8 million to retire, and this might seem insurmountable to some working people. What are what are your recommendations for how much people actually need to retire? Well, those numbers I think are very interesting, and they're very um, attract a lot of attention. We do the surveys at Schwab. I talk about them a lot, and and often mm-hmm. I'm I'm kind of interested myself and you know, how realistic that is or how reflective it is of the average person. And, you know, I think if you ask the average American that may not answer surveys like this, that that number would be really high. And it is. That's a big, very daunting, very intimidating number. Mm -hmm. And it's probably uh, higher than what you would need for the average worker in America to have some savings to retire on. The average person doesn't have any savings at all for retirement. So I, I like to sort of pivot away from a number like that, which just sounds too daunting. And we hear so many investors who say, I'm not, why even try that? I can't do that. Right. Just do something, start with something. So I think that number is an interesting survey point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it really, uh, this is a, always kind of a disturbing answer, but it depends. It personalizes it. Right. It depends on your lifestyle. It depends on your health. But mm-hmm. what we do know is that saving and investing something is much, much better than having nothing and not saving at all. And then working with a financial planner and and more and more, anyone, even with lower net worth, can get access to general retirement planning tools. Do your own numbers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's so how I tend to respond to it. 1.8 million, it's a fine survey response, but goodness, that does seem pretty insurmountable, I'm sure, to many. many Yeah. So... There, um, there's other Schwab research that talks about um, five retirement surprise expenses, such as hidden housing costs or uncovered healthcare costs. How, how do these surprise costs derail someone's retirement? Yeah, another harsh word, probably, and I, I get it. Derail. It Sorry. Like no, it's it's and I, it's not a critique at all. It's an observation. It's a normal thing for us to attach words like that to very emotional things like retirement. Mm-hmm. That's part of, you know, why I've mentioned while we talk about there's math and then there's, there's emotions and mm-hmm. uncertainty is really 
the thing that causes us the most stress. How much will I spend in retirement, et cetera? So that in itself is stressful. Now, mm -hmm. what are some of the surprises that hopefully we can manage them so they don't derail us, mm -hmm. but they still are stressful and they can be surprises. And a, a couple that we, we see in the data and we talk about housing. So you may own a home, but there's still costs associated with that. And especially, you know, if you plan to live and age at home, plan mm -hmm. for it. There are going to be some costs associated with that. And that may be okay, but it can be a surprise. Um, healthcare costs, that's other than thinking, when can I retire? That's the most stressful question or clients and most consumers tell us about retirement healthcare. It's an unknown. Unknowns are scary. Mm -hmm. And so um, educating yourself on many things. What does Medicare cover? Mm -hmm. um, making sure you have the drug part D policy, looking at Medigap policies, which are a supplement to Social Security to sort of fill some of those holes. Those start to limit surprises. Now, it's Medicare Advantage season right now. Lots of commercials and things about that. Be right. wary, you know, be wary of those. Um, not because they can't make sense, but mm -hmm. there's a lot of advertising and those are more private plans that can provide more coverage, but sometimes fewer options to fewer doctors. So I'm not saying those are a bad idea. I'm just saying that healthcare can be unexpected. It's scary. Mm -hmm. It's hard to get educated, but talking with a certified financial planner about those issues that doesn't really have skin in the game for that is really helpful. And then when you have those numbers, you, know, you can feel a little bit more confident. I'll throw a couple others out there that we're thinking okay. about, but we see loss of a spouse mm -hmm. really, you know, in terms of uh, the, another third issue, which is long-term care costs and we all believe, probably many of us, that our family will be there to take care of us or a spouse will. That may not always be the case. It's not meant to be scary or to make you panic or even to go run and think I need to buy a long-term care insurance policy. But it is something to think about and, and plan for. And, and the last, I just have to throw out there, is having children that end up needing you still, you know, right. um, and also just balancing. I, I see so much. It's not a surprise. It's a balance. How do I live in my own retirement? And especially as people get through it older in retirement, how am I going to balance that with leaving a legacy or supporting my grandchildren? You know, those are maybe pleasant surprises or mm -hmm. things people haven't thought about, but um, they do come as a surprise how, you know, that balance can be somewhat challenging. Um. There's a, the federal retirement package called Secure 2.0 has a lot of provisions that go into effect in 2024. What are the biggest changes people will see? Yeah, so so we talked about politics earlier, fun, fun stuff, but <laughs> I guess this is the result of politics or maybe it's the result of legislation. Um, Secure Act 2.0 is, it's called that because uh, a few years ago, there was a Secure Act 1.0 that Congress mm -hmm. passed. And it really focused on um, providing more ways for Americans to save and invest flexibly for their own retirements. So didn't do anything for Social Security, but it said, hey, we need to open up more ways for people to save in IRAs, for employers to off in 401ks. 
So Secure Act 2.0, which was passed last year, that that expanded on it. It adds some additional features. So the theme is still help Americans take ownership and save for their own retirement. Mm-hmm. The details in Secure Act 2.0 you all should know about is one required minimum distributions. So if mm-hmm. you have a 401k or an IRA, the IRS can allow you to invest in them in a tax advantage way for um, while you're saving. But then you they they don't want you to keep it there forever. You need to take it out eventually because when you take money out of those retirement accounts, that's when they collect tax. So that's moved from age 72 to age 73, effective mm-hmm. in January of 2023. Um, it then goes to 75 out in 2033. So that's a ways out. So that's one. Um, another is there's been a real focus in the Secure Act on Roth accounts. Right. Roths are just a way, a type of 401k or a type of IRA where instead of taking a payroll deduction or putting money in and having it tax deductible when you put money in, mm-hmm. you put it in after you know, after you've been taxed on your on your on your income, on your paycheck. But mm-hmm. once you it in all the earnings, the growth in that Roth account grow without any taxes. Then here's the big kicker: you can take it out when you get to retirement without any taxes. Those are really powerful. Actually, mm-hmm. um, we've written a lot. There's a lot we could talk about about when those make sense versus more of a traditional. But really, they've Congress and Secure Act 2.0 has made it so higher net, uh, net worth employers, uh, employees contributing after you get up to a certain amount of contributions, your catch-up contributions actually have to go into a Roth account. They want to collect the taxes now. So I mean, there's a silver lining because Roth accounts are very flexible. They're Mm -hmm. very powerful as one of the account types to choose from. But that's that's something in Secure Act um, 2.0. There's a couple of others. Um, The catch-up contributions, we talked about age 50. They've Mm -hmm. added a dates in there, 68 uh, to 63, starting in 2025. So more opportunities for people to contribute more and catch up if they're behind. And there's there's some interesting things in there too, less about retirement related, more to um, student loans and um, 529 plans. So, you know, look that up and learn more about that if that applies to you. Less about retirement, perhaps and more about college costs. So, Rob, this is a personal question, but what's the best financial advice you ever got and who gave it to you? Oof, gosh, that's good. So, um, you know, I, I'm an analyst by nature, so I tend to read and come up with my own finance, you know, like try to digest a lot of different things and, and share that share that with, with folks, whether they're advisors or, you know, folks like you listening. But mm-hmm. the one I read... Uh, um, one is very simple. Uh, I'm going to give you two. Can I get bonus points? So simple. Yeah, <laughs> this is math. This comes from Warren Buffett. This comes from the most elementary math. Start early. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the the what's the saying? The only free lunch is compound growth. It's true. And I've definitely applied that in my own way. For whatever reason, I feel fortunate about it today in my own life. Mm-hmm. Start saving. Contribute from your, pay yourself first from your paycheck. No matter what age you are, do that first. And mm-hmm. then the details, once you get to retirement age, are going to follow. But you're going to have a lot more choices that you can make if you make the choice to save and invest today. We can't go back in history, but 
you know, go back to our twenties or thirties. If you're, mm -hmm. you, you know, start simple, start now, start early. But this one, I think this one, I, this one's the one I kind of think is more interesting. And I, and I, and I rely on a lot now is that we're, we're all normal, right? We're all imperfect eco economics and investing are, are emotional things. Mm -hmm. And we're not totally irrational. Um, there's in economics, there's this idea that we're purely rational and that we make purely rational decisions. Well, the kind of next wave, um, and, and this is, there's, um, there's an academic who wrote a book about this called we're, we're just normal. And that mm -hmm. just means that in finances, we have to say, we will react emotionally to things. Retirement is emotional. Money is emotional. Mm -hmm. And it's normal to be stressed about it. It's very normal to panic about inflation because it feels terrible. Mm -hmm. It's very normal to be worried about the uncertainty of healthcare costs. It's not irrational to worry about those things. So then that leads us to what do you do about it? And that's where financial planning and, and, and things like you know, modern planning comes in where you say, let's get ahead of those emotions when the market falls or when we read the newscast about inflation or um, we read world words like derailing retirement or insolvency of social security. Those are emotional words okay. and we read them all the time. So it's to, to know that and to say, look, I can make this, I, my, we all have resources. We can make choices whether to manage them well or not emotionally or not you know, to, to think we can get a lottery ticket and, and win the jackpot or that it's just about social media and, and looking how our friends present themselves to us. Well, um, there's no magic genius out there and we're not all going to win the, the, the lottery. Right. And um, it's boring, but true. You making those simple choices before emotion hits. Um, that's what planning and discipline investing and, and frankly, getting to whatever money you need for retirement. So I'm not sure if that was financial advice, but uh, I, I think great. it is normal, accept it. It's up to you to decide what you're going to do about it. I've always lived by that. And I think that's what financial planning and frankly, listening to this podcast, you know, this, this session, listen to us is about right. make a choice to learn and, and then and manage, manage your finance as well. I hope that helps. Answer that helps question. a lot. So we've got a couple questions from the audience. Um, Elise asked, was it possible to contribute to a health savings account in the year of retirement or only before the, that exact date? Yeah. So health savings accounts are really powerful savings vehicles too. So um, check with your um, employer just to confirm what their rules are about the, about the contributions. But generally speaking, I believe you can contribute to them in the year that you are retire, retiring, it may depend on your dates and other things. So mm -hmm. best answer to that is call your um, employer um, if you it, or your health savings account provider um, mm -hmm. and, and just confirm to make sure whatever the dates are, what your retirement date is, you know, that you're following uh, those rules. Okay. Um, you, you have talked in the past about health savings accounts and that they're triple tax advantaged. Can you explain what that means? Yeah, their health savings accounts are the most powerful retirement, well, a, I don't like to say the, but they are one of the most powerful retirement savings vehicles for tax purposes that there are because 
you can triple tax exempt means you can take money out of your income, your paycheck, mm -hmm. contribute to that health savings account or deposit it directly, and it's deducted from your taxes this year. Then you can spend the money in those health savings accounts on your current healthcare cost or don't pay out of mm -hmm. pocket or contribute more to the self-saving account than you're going to need during the year for healthcare and invest. Health savings accounts, unlike some of the other solutions historically allow you to invest. And so your investments, your gains are tax deferred or tax free. And then you get to the point if you take them out whenever you do for a qual qualified healthcare expense, at that point, that's tax free as well. That's triple tax exempt. Now, little kicker people should know, once you get to age 65, mm -hmm. even if you take the money out of an HSA and it's not for a qualified healthcare expense, they're taxed like an IRA. So it is taxed as ordinary income, but they can become kind of a, an extra retirement savings account. But if you use it for healthcare costs, it's a way to increase decrease uncertainty by having money for healthcare mm -hmm. and it's triple tax exempt. So I think they're very powerful and definitely worth considering. Excellent. So um, Umar asked, he said that he's five years away from retirement. So what should his game plan be? Are there the best investments or stocks to buy for this type of timeline? Yeah, great question. And um, the, the, you, may, he may, you may not like the answer. There are no best stocks. Um, there's the best actions, which is to go and update your plan with your employer or work with a certified financial planner, ideally. Those five years before retirement are critical. Mm -hmm. And the question is right. So what's your number? Is it 1.8 million? Is it 500,000? What is it? Well, five years before it would be a good time to go work with someone who does this every day to make those calculations and see if you're on track. Then that will help guide decisions, whether it's I need to increase my savings, you know, double down here in the last five years, mm -hmm. um, et cetera. Now, the portfolio will be part of that plan. And we do believe that most people who are going to be using some of their portfolio mm -hmm. to support them in retirement, some people may not. You may have rental income or you live on Social Security. But if you are, it is important to start getting that portfolio ready to support you. And generally what that means is, is kind of lowering the stock exposure. Stocks are great, but mm -hmm. they can be volatile over three or four year periods. So I like um, starting to sort of think, how much am I going to need from this portfolio in the first two to four years of retirement? Mm -hmm. And start to move your portfolio gradually over a period of years to have you know, about that much or more in bond, you know, high quality bonds, bond funds, cash investments, some people call it 60-40. Um, you can personalize it. But if you're all stocks, now is definitely the time to start creating that balance, that liquidity. And the good news is that rates on bonds are higher now. So there's some income you know, there as well. Okay. Excellent. Well, that's all the time that we have for, for today. Thanks for being here, Rob. You were perfect. Thank so you. We hope to, you listen tomorrow to our next episode. My colleagues from Opus will have a discussion on the energy markets and how climate change and the energy transition are transforming companies. Thanks for listening. Be well and have a good day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.